This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to episode the 35th of Tamper Tantrum. My name is Colin Harmon and I'm joined by the internet by my good colleague, Mr. Steve Layton. How are you, Steve? I'm very good, thank you, Colin. Very good. It's uh, yeah, a pleasure to be here with you as always. What's the crack? Um, you see, you always ask me that, what's the crack? And I, I have a very different image in my head of what the crack is. Um, for me, the crack is some kind of class A drug. Um, but I know you mean what's going on. Um, not, not a lot. I'm, I, I'm working from home today, which is nice. Um, I'm sitting in, in the lovely sun, uh, looking out over Birmingham and having a, a lovely morning. Uh, how about you? What is your crack? Uh, what is my crack? Uh, not much. I was uh, away for the weekend on a cycling trip, and today I'm sitting on the couch at home with sore thighs. But besides <laughs> that, there's not much else happening. So, is it what you just went uh, cycling around the estate where you live, or you cycled into Dublin and back? Because that's quite a long way. Well, or... avid uh, Tampa Tantrum listeners will no doubt recall uh, a recent run that I did down the Grand Canal in Ireland, and uh, this Did weekend you? we decided to cycle that same route. So, 140 kilometres in two days, which doesn't seem like an awful lot until you consider that most of that route is marsh, bogland, uh, jagged hardcore rock, and um, lots of puddles. So yeah, it was fairly full on, but we did it. It was good fun. It sounds like hell. You, you know, um, just... I don't know. I don't know what it is, but as I get older, I get attracted to more and more of these sort of things. I think I just don't like myself, <laughs> and uh, it's a good way to uh, to get rid of it. But like it's um, I don't know. It's a nice way to do it because uh, I like cycling, but I kind of find it a bit monotonous. So this kind of is this is to cycling as crazy golf is to golf. Put it that way. Except think of it as eighteen hole, kind of six thousand yard golf. <laughs> crazy golf if that makes sense and, and which fun. did which did you prefer the running or the riding which 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 did you find the most fulfilling oh the running was definitely harder yeah definitely definitely harder um considering that we stopped for two points on the first day of cycling it wasn't as tricky although the second day was much trickier because the terrain was rougher we were a little hungover and um we actually had further to go on the second day, which was probably not the best way to approach it. So I think the running is a bit more fulfilling, but the the cycling is probably more enjoyable, if that makes sense. Yeah, more achievable as well, I guess. A little bit more leisurely, put it that way. Sounds really good. Sounds really good. Um, and of course, I, I was across in Dublin with you last weekend. Um, yeah. Making an idiot of myself. I'm sure some people saw some videos on Instagram and Twitter. So what we did is uh, Steve was in Dublin for the Big Grill Festival. And the Big Grill Festival is uh, run by the good people of Body Tonic, namely Trev O'Shea and um, Andy Noonan, who um, is another good friend. And it's they basically what they do is they take the best uh, barbecuers they can find from all over the world and they bring them together for like a big barbecue festival. And on foot of that, Andy had asked me if we could barbecue coffee. He said, is that possible? I said, you know, it kind of is. So we got uh, a one metre diameter paella pan 
and we roasted, well, I said we, you, roasted green coffee on the pan. I was going to say, because like you said, you know, we su- we suggested that you could and, and we didn't, you did. And then when you said we roasted, you didn't, I did. <laughs> so I kind of like, yes, Steve can do that. And Steve couldn't do that, he didn't think. The first time I'd done it was around about an hour before we were actually live with an audience standing in front of us with the said big paella pan. Um and I was scared senseless. First of all, because people were taking photos and putting it on the internet, and now it, there are photos of me out there with a giant pan roasting coffee. But also I had no idea if it was going to work at all and how long it was going to take or um, what its solubility would be or anything. It was it was really quite concerning and worrying. But um, it was lots of fun. Um, it was, fact- and it was, it was super interesting. The amount of people... So generally what happened is that we had head, head mice, but because Steve was covered in smoke and trying to roast these beans, I ended up doing all the talking and the brewing and Steve did all the roasting, which is kind of, I suppose, how things happen generally. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, uh, I don't think you're going to take too much offence if I say it looked like shit. Like the process looked interesting. The, the beans that came out of it looked like shit, but everybody was really interested in it. And like the amount of people that, that had never seen green coffee was there was like wow this is really interesting the the strange thing was though it didn't really taste that bad did it no and i don't know whether that was our expectations that the way that it looked and i mean we were brewing it kind of cowboy style in a jerry pot thing over the fire as well and uh you know so i was just like this is gonna be the worst coffee and i i've been served worse filter coffee in coffee shops in the uk and i'm not talking about I'm not talking about coffee shops that, you know, are just specialty coffee shops. Um, so uh, like I, I actually thought it was quite palatable and I managed to finish the whole you know, cup of it. So like it really surprised me, really surprised me um, because when you looked at the roast, it was so uneven and there was, you know, it was all over the place because it was on, on a, in a pan on a big fire. But it was, it was good. It was really good. Um, yeah. Well, actually, no, really I think good we put some videos... Fire. We put some videos on uh, Instagram. So Colin Herman, all one word on Instagram. You'll see some videos and photographs there. And I think there's someone has been as well, is there? Uh, no, I because I, I was too busy actually doing it to take any videos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you we posted some. But, um, I, I, did, I did do some retweeting and, and some liking on Instagram, but I didn't do any repost. I don't know, don't know how to repost on Instagram. Can you do that? Yeah, I think it needs to be through third-party things. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I thought I thought the big grill thing was really interesting, and I kind of really like the idea that people get geeky about barbecuing, uh, just the way we get geeky about coffee, and was like super well attended, and, and so many people there on the Sunday it was really impressive. Did they do that anywhere yeah. else? No. Um, well, they, that's the second year that they've done it, and I know Andy like that event happens one weekend every year, and Andy spends twelve months of the year organizing it you know like that's his his full-time gig and i might be completely making this up okay yeah but i'm going to say it as a fact do you know who was also really big into barbecue mm, go on jay Carrigay. yeah no i you were saying that when we were at, at the show and i i i didn't know that i know he was definitely into his shave ice and i know there's a there's a there's a big barbecue festival in um uh hawaii which I, I think where's Jay's from? Is that right? Yeah. 
yeah, they, they, I know they have a big festival there every year. I mean, um, but it's the first time I've seen anything like this in, in like Europe. Uh, I'm not going to say which part of Europe, whether it's east, west, north or south, but in Europe. <laughs> Just generally, generally Eastern Europe. <laughs> um but I, I just thought it was a brilliant idea, and, and and I could just see so many things for it. Just go, just before we kind of move on from the the roast in the big pan thing, though, the one thing that you were right about the crowds, like we really we did draw a crowd. People were like all around looking what we were doing, super interested. But none of them were coffee people. Like none of them were, you know, they were just people at a barbecue festival going, "That looks interesting," and I just thought it was a really cool way to engage people that may not be into coffee to actually get them to look at you know it's roasted it comes from uh, you know a tree and, and all the things that we're talking about processing with them and, and when would you ever get that opportunity normally to converse with yeah you know, the general public about all things coffee it was um, i thought it was really good i think steve that the paella dish um can't really be put into retirement just yet. I have a feeling that that's going to crop up at some sort of an event. Like, I, I remember Craig, one of the guys from 3FE, was there giving us a bit of a hand. And I said to him that, like, this uh, this is the sort of thing that is great for a non-coffee event. Like, it's yeah. just really, really engaging, and people get to see and learn something about coffee. So, um, yeah. Don't be Please don't make me do to the WBC next year. Please. <laughs> this is green coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did. Do, I did do some of the talking while I was dying in the smoke. You did. You said it, yeah. I, I know. Just normally I did appropriate jokes, but <laughs> yeah, there was a few of them, alright. But yeah, I think it's um, it was an interesting process. And uh, do you think you can get better at it? I don't mean that in, a, in an aggressive sense. I just mean that, like um, <laughs> you, you uh, seem to get better with every single roast. And I'm just wondering yes, where. Le- lesson, is, lessons how... were definitely learned. Um, I, I think uh, next time I could make it not look like a, a pile of yellow and green uh, gunk, but I could probably make it look more coffee-like and probably get more flavour from it as well. I, I, I learned a lot from it. Um, just using different charge temps, different dropping uh, weights of coffee. I, I was, yeah, I, I, I would also learn not to do big roasts in the paella pan because that was really hard work. That was the one that nearly broke me. So, uh, okay. And why is that? Do you know or think? Uh, it was just because I was having to mo- keep moving it about so much, and and because there was so much of it, it was a lot of the coffee was staying in one place at the same time. So you were just getting scorching, and 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 it was like burning certain ones. And whereas smaller amounts, I could, I, I you know, I was moving it all the time. And if you kept it moving, it just was more even. But yeah, yeah. I, I learned stuff. I, yes, I could definitely get better at it. Um, I think next time I'd probably have a. Uh, a, a couple of hours prep as well uh, on my own just to uh, experiment with it but it was fun I enjoyed it and and a gas mask yeah and, 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 and probably some oxygen at the end uh, I also learned that uh, roasting with beer uh, also helped um, because of all the smoke I was inha- inhaling somebody brought me a beer and that made me better so <laughs> yeah so you've got That's some travel coming up soon haven't you yeah late September I had um Back down to um, Southern Europe or Australia, <laughs> as it's known. And, uh, that um, no, we're going to back back to Australia with Nuova uh, Simonelli Victoria Arduino. Um, and doing some. Um, it's no real big secret that the Mythos Two project has has kicked off in earnest, and part of this is um, gathering kind of data and feedback from the Mythos project that that was um and um 
one of the, the I suppose the parts of the world where it's really taken off and where, where it's put into yeah I think the most uh, trying of environments is, is uh, Australia and New Zealand so mm-hmm. it's, it's good to go back see how the grind is taking off see what what people want from the next edition and um, and go talk about graphometrics about that process and um, yeah I'm looking forward to it so it's a two and a half week long trip um, I ha- I'm not 100% sure but I think at this stage, it's uh, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Auckland, uh, Perth, I think, maybe. And uh, possibly Christchurch. I can't be sure. But yeah, two and a half week trip with my um, my good friend, uh, Michele Mastricola, and um, the guys at uh, Espresso Mechanics as well, who have bases in Australia and in New Zealand. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so on, on on the mythos, like so, obviously mythos kind of came from lots of people getting together. Then the team got smaller. Like, how how much input have, uh, uh, do you have on that? I mean, how how much can you say? Well, this would be really good if it did this, or really good if it did that, or or, or is it really you just like a an, an ambassadorial road now giving it? They're giving you the finished product and say, what do you think? Or do you, are you well, able to kind of guide it places? One thing that we found, I think, with the with the last project is that. Like there was myself and Quillam and Fritz and James and um, there was Mike Phillips. As like well. essentially, say again. Was, was Mike involved as well, Mike Phillips? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Um, so there was four of us in the project, and um, you're kind of like you're putting four people in the room who are used to getting what they want. Does that make sense? So yes, we it all does. Had, we all had different ideas and different demands and uh, the communication was a big issue and like we'd come back after testing we'd all have like massively different feedback you know um, which in the end often turned out to be the same feedback but it's just confusing when it's coming in different format in different forms you know yeah so um, like yeah uh, I think it's it's from the obviously Ali Victoria between his perspective it was easier just to have one person and because I've been doing a lot of these tours with the grinder, uh, I've become a kind of a conduit between the people that are using them and the people that are building them. And that's always what's been missing. That's what they were looking for in the first place. So um, I like I get a lot of emails and tweets uh, from people around the world asking about the grinder. And it's easier for them to use me as that bottleneck. Um, and James is still heavily involved. And I think uh, Gullum and Fritz will probably still have some input in it. I'm not too sure about that. But like an awful lot of it is... It's... Uh, like we can I go to Noah Sonelli and I sit down and talk to the engineers and the designers about what we want and then they figure out ways to achieve it and then we test it so a lot of the test models will, will be at 3FE and seeing if it can um, withstand that busy environment and if things are working giving feedback and then going back again and then just there's be test models sent out to different um, shops around the world and talking to those guys and seeing how they're getting on and then just yeah but like I don't um I don't do like people say oh you're the like the guy who designed the grinder I'm like well not really like it's kind of like if you say you want a car with you know yellow leather seats and you want it to go from not to 60 in 4.2 seconds and then somebody builds it you didn't design the car you know what I mean so I'm very uh, quick to downplay my role in that end of things because ultimately it's down to the engineers and the designers and all of them and they're the you guys normally, that do. you normally claim the credit for things you haven't done <laughs> not in this case you know they're, they're just bigger than me so 
So, yeah. so but no, because you're getting all of those tweets and those emails and things, what's been the major feedback that people want, where they want to see the myth, the mythos go? I mean, is, is there is there been one particular thing that people haven't liked, uh, or, or one particular thing that people have absolutely loved about it? I mean, just I, I don't want to turn this into a similarly advert. It's really not because I mean, you know, everybody knows that they're they're the sponsor of this podcast now. But I think I think it's, it's interesting to to see what. You know what the feedback has been because I mean I have my own personal feedback of things I like and don't like about it, but uh, be interested yeah. what other people say. Um, well, a lot of the things that happened with the grinders have been fixed as we've got along. So the small things like the front casing that comes off so you can clean the burrs it used to be suspended by a wire, and now that wire is detachable so you can take the whole thing off. That's a little small thing. So um, and there's uh the motor is now, um. There was a few of them that were, that were damaged in transit, so they're now pinned with a um, uh, a cable tie in transit, and then you sn- you snip it when it arrives, and that stops it from from rocking in in transit. Um, so a little small, there's a lot of uh, small things like that that have been fixed as it, as it goes along. But in general, what people, what the demand is there for at the moment is it, uh, a grinder that um, can withstand kind of major volumes. So most of the people that use the grinder around the world are doing like between two and kind of six seven eight kilos a day yeah uh, and then there but there are shops that do kind of you know like the shops in australia that do like 30 kilos a day so how do you how do you build a grinder to do that um so there are other grinders in on the market that i suppose have a reputation for working um in those high volume uh, areas and not necessarily being that accurate at those volumes but they just they still work you know what i mean whereas yeah. the mythos has always been like it, it's really accurate and repeatable and above that it gets a little bit wobbly and i think it comes under a lot of criticism because people go oh it wasn't as good after i went to like you know eight nine ten kilos a day and like but my answer is always like well yeah but it just seems not very good compared to what it was but even still at that point it's probably as good as any other grinder that's there you know so it's um it's a victim of its own success in that sense we have we have five of them on our bar mm-hmm. um and what i always say to people is that if you really want to have something that's that's really accurate and precise then you should just get more grinders because your quality improve and i mean it's it's worth an investment in quality is always a good thing so um but yeah a- any pl- any plans to make it prettier because I know that's the feedback I've had from people. It's kind of like it's a very functional looking grinder, but it just looks like you know, like like pretty much you know every other grinder that's out there. And I don't think it's particularly pretty. Not that any other grinder really is out there, but it doesn't look attractive. I don't know. Well, like I think it looks very different to any other grinder that's out there. Like it's not that traditional cone shaped hopper on the top and then cone shaped bottom. You know what I mean? With the burrs in the middle. That's how most grinders look. This one is a is kind of a rectangle, so it looks different. Um. I actually think I think it's kind of pretty, but yeah, the aesthetics the aesthetics are definitely going to change. Is there um, going to be more lights on it? Changing lights, like lights that could change color. I think that could be really good. Yeah, that would. That's always a good thing. So, yeah, I don't know. So we go usually. You know how it, Italians work. Hostess this year in, in October. Yeah. Um. So I would expect to for you to see something in at host in two years time. That's um usually the way um. Italian manufacturers work is that they need to show their wares at host so I wouldn't be at all shocked if you see um, something new at host 2017 well okay there, there we go I'm, I've written it in my diary if it doesn't happen now then I'm just going to curse you 
<laughs> so, so the trip to uh, Australia, Australia. Have you been to New Zealand? You did. You went to with I, the Specialty Coffee Association of New Zealand. I did. I went. I went to Wellington, and it was probably one of my one of my favourite ever trips. Uh, Wellington is just it's just like the UK, but better in every single way. <laughs> like, <laughs> nicer food, like Ireland. Nicer drink. Well, kind of, but like even nicer than Ireland. It was like nicer food, nicer drink, nicer people. Nicer weather, nicer standard of living. Um, it was really, I, I loved Wellington. It was just absolutely beautiful. I, 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 it's one of the few places so far away from home I believed I could actually live at. I could actually stay there and live there and be fine. Like you turn on the TV and Coronation Street still comes on. But like, you know, you're, you're just in a beautiful place with, with so many good things around you. And you're like an hour from wine country, um, which was just... I, I, I really enjoyed that. But I was also surrounded by lovely, lovely New Zealand coffee people who did everything to look after me. Um, and uh, and I also got to spend a week hanging out with Doug Zell as well, cycling and running with Doug. So that was, I think that might have had an influence on me too. But it was just, I, I loved New Zealand a lot. I was yeah, it's an awesome country. There. One of my big regrets on the last trip is that um, I actually spent a day in New Zealand. So I oh. went pretty much as far away from Ireland as you can possibly go without coming back again. To spend a day. Wow, yeah, yeah. that's pretty so hardcore. I, I'm hoping to um to spend a little more time there this time. Well, you know how much I love. You know how much I love flying. So my, oh, my yeah. flight there, my flight there was 36 hours, and if they invited me back, I would go back tomorrow. I would quite happily put up with 36 hours worth of flying to go back there. So yeah, that's exactly. how much I enjoyed it. It was good. Um, and you've got some trips yourself coming up to uh, Malawi, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one it isn't confirmed yet, so I'm kind of scared to talk too much about it on the podcast. But um, I had an email last week from um, uh, the guys who run the Taste of Harvest competition for uh, Afka. I'm probably getting that wrong, um, but uh, I did Kenya last year, which was immense fun. So I did the Taste of Harvest competition there. What is an international judge? Uh, first time they'd had an international judge that wasn't like head judge. So and. Um, yeah, it was a great honour to kind of go out there and just taste a massive range of Kenyan. It completely changed my opinion of Kenyan coffees as well. Like this whole taste profile that we have in our head, uh, yeah. when you taste hundreds and hundreds of them, you suddenly start to realise that, that, yeah, that's just in the ones that we're picking out and selecting for the market. Um, so uh, they've asked me again if I would like to judge this year, but then they asked what co- countries I wanted, I would be interested in doing. Um and last year we bought the number one from the Malawi Taste of Harvest, um, and uh, one of my favourite coffees of last year. In fact, the coffee I used in the Brewers Cup um, this year, um, and and just it's so much, so much interesting stuff going on there. So that this coffee that I use, it's a it's a geisha, but it's also a Catimore hybrid um, wow. mixed together, and it was like I say for me one of my one of my top five coffees of last year so the, the opportunity to go out there and see what's happening I'm also going to hopefully get a chance to go to see the, the estate as well where it's from um, that's part of my plans while I'm out there there's lots of potential in Malawi I mean like it's um, you had a geisha from there a while back I believe and then yeah that, that, that yeah that's the one that, that's the one that we've that, that I'm talking about it was a, it was a geisha stroke uh, catamore hybrid okay and, um, yeah not that you could tell a catibor was in there, uh, and I just found it really interesting that they're, they're, they're doing that kind of work out there. And this is not new geisha, this is like 40, 50, 60 year old geisha. 
um, that's been there forever and just nobody knew what it was before and then um, some clever people have gone in wow. and do you know what that is that's super interesting because yeah. it's like it's borders Tanzania doesn't and it and also it's such a tiny producing country as well yeah so it's like yes a yeah a tiny producing country as well what's the production uh, like I think it's been like I, I, now this is off the top of my head and I really should have researched this but I'm sure it's around about 30 40,000 bags which is you know like there's farms in Brazil that do twice that um, so yeah very very small production uh, but a very very small specialty market as well so like, like nobody's really marketing it there so I kind of I see it as me going into a, a virgin market and uh, yeah snapping up all the amazing coffees from there hopefully um, but that's that's going to be the end of end of September um, just for a couple of days and then a couple of days going around the estates hopefully but, um, yeah I'll, I'll know more by the time we do this next you don't time. do a huge amount of, of traveling it well not not compared to um not compared to america but you you don't do as much in africa no 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 and 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 you know from doing the taste of harvest in kenya last year we've got our first direct trade kenyan coming in the next couple of weeks um, and that's what i i really hope to do in malawi as well is use it for that opportunity to go and try and j just try and have more relationships in in, in Africa than, than we currently have now. Um, like I just think it'd be, it's really important to kind of grow um, that side of our business because Central South America we've we've always done pretty well, uh, but Africa we've we've struggled. It's been hard, and and I think it's always going to be hard. And so I'll be looking to do something very very small to start off with, and then just grow it from there. Hmm. Interesting. And what, have you got any other trips lined up this year? Um, and then I'm doing uh, Ethiopia in uh, January. Um, and again, I've been invited to do the Taste of Harvest for Ethiopia as well, which is one that just sounds amazing. Like somewhere I, I, I can't wait to go and see the diversity of. Um, and uh, it's just before Africa as well. So uh, hopefully I'll stop out in, in Africa for the, for the major main conference they have in February. Um, and I'm sure around by that time I'll be doing the same central Central America trip shortly after. So yeah, I seem to spend yeah. a lot more time traveling there than I do being at home, but it's a good thing. It's uh, yeah, really, really good to kind of, I, I kind of just go out really to drink beer and eat food with people. Um, and occasionally we might do a cooking. That's pretty, hmm. pretty much my trips. But um, yeah, really just kind of- And when you, say, when you say Taste of Harvest, is that just a generic name for each country organizing its own thing? Or is there like a group called Taste of Harvest? Yeah, so, so Africa, the, the, uh, Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get the thing up here because I'm gonna get it wrong. But yeah, Africa is the African Fine Coffees Association. There we go. I had got it right. Wow. Um, and and that because Cup of Excellence doesn't really uh, stretch to lots of African countries. Africa really just wants to give an opportunity to showcase coffees at their uh, annual conference. So they they run a, a competition with national judges uh, normally, and then they bring in a head judge. So it's normally like one of the Q grading trainers would be there doing some Q grading and they'd get them to head judge it. Um, last year for the first time they decided that they were going to head judge it all themselves um, and just ask people if they wanted to come along and be part of the judging panel and, and, and that's how I got in, involved in the Kenya one. So you kind of just get, everybody can put a sample in, um, you cut them, find your top 10 and then cut your top 10 and then... The, they're trying to get it where you end up taking it to auction and buy it. A lot of the time it's just happening that a group of people are sitting in a room saying, I'll buy that and I'll pay this much. And, and it's very much done on uh, just kind of like people agreeing a price and whatever. Um, 
like the Kenya Kenya ones last year didn't actually end up making it to auction or anybody buying them at all, and they just ended up back in the market, which was a, a real shame. But the Manawi one obviously seemed a lot more organised last year, and that one did did have the auction and 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 all of the lots got bought up. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's basically run by uh, one person that is uh, Faith, her name's Faith, and she just flies into all the countries and kind of manages the competition and and, and gets it all together. Um, and and yeah, I, I don't know how many other how many other international judges there there are. I think they're keeping it small to start off with, and then they, there's plans to kind of try and roll it out and make it bigger. And somehow I've got involved in it, so it's good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And it just helps with that whole Africa thing because Africa is just such a difficult place to do business. Just going out there and spending time with you know different exporters and and you know, different people who have different contacts um, has really helped. Um, and so that's why I've ended up getting involved with this uh, couple of lots that are our first direct. Yeah, so Kenya. to me, um, it seems like it would it be fair to say that like the like the most advanced market in terms of like doing business and like um technology and farming and just like that ease of use would be brazil would that be fair yeah i think so and, and that's that's because of its sheer size and because of the amount of money that's involved so um yeah 33 of the world's coffee comes from brazil um so you've just got that sheer weight there and um and also a lot of people that are quite wealthy landowners so they're able to invest in that technology and invest in experimentation uh, and also the BSCA, the Brazil Specialty Coffee Association, are amazing. I mean, they, they are a real machine that are really organised um, and do a very, very good job at marketing their coffee. Um, unfortunately, they don't necessarily have the best climate for amazing coffees. You know, you've got fairly low altitudes, you've got um, you know, fairly kind of um, flat areas, and, you know, we, we tend to find delicious coffee grows on sides of mountains and stuff. Um, but for sheer organisation and technology, it's very difficult to beat Brazil. Yeah, and do you, do you find that kind of organisation is a, something you're hopeful for in Africa, or is it getting worse? What do you, what's your perception of it? I, th I think there are, there's, a, there's a group of people in every country trying to make things better and trying to do more. You know, you see uh, Ethiopia 2008-2009, when the ECX first came out, there was you know, a big uproar, and, and everybody was really angry at the way... But, I think Ethiopian coffees have actually got better now because of ECX. Um, I think their commodity grade coffee's got um, you know an awful lot better. I was going to say a million times better. That's probably an exaggeration. Maybe nine hundred ninety nine thousand and eighty. Um, but they, they, you know they, they, their commodity coffee's got a lot better. But now all of a sudden the market's developed into the you can do direct contracts uh, and you can export coffee from co-ops and you know all of those things have been loosened. So by bringing in that, tightening those regulations up, coffee, I, I, I always, I know you didn't invent the same, but you've said it a lot in the past on, on this podcast about a rising tide carrying all boats. Uh, and I, I, I think that's really happened in Ethiopia. Uh, I, I, I hope it can happen in other countries. Um, but Africa's so disorganised, it's very, and it's a generally big sweeping statement there again. But, um, you know, I, I'd love to see some more organisation like, what BSCA do in Brazil, in Africa, and hopefully that's what Africa can do with, um, you know, things like Taste of Harvest and stuff like that. I'd really like to see them organise everybody because it's a huge continent with huge export of coffee, uh, big money generator. Um, 
trying to act as individual countries it just makes it harder whereas if they could act as a, a as a continent and be more focused i think that could only help because there's so many countries in there that have so much potential like you have um I suppose uh like uganda yeah. you have dr congo you yeah. have zimbabwe Yemen, which is zimbabwe well, I've had, i had um, a delicious zimbabwe coffee about five six years ago i had a huge personal issue whether i should stock it just because of the whole political situation there but then i thought well if i don't buy it then nobody buys it and then that, that, you know this isn't about the politics this is about the people that grow it and it was delicious um so it was a good reason to but i'm, I'm sure there must be more of those kind of coffees in there and it, then if you think about you know all, all of the baristas favorite coffees you know if you say you know what's your favorite origin people always roll out ethiopia always roll out kenya you know always roll out things like tanzania rwandans um it's just such a rich and diverse uh, plant stock that that's in Africa. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to tasting uh, some interesting coffees from the parts of the world. Malawi has is, is always been one that's intrigued me because it's something we see very little of, but when they do pop up, they tend to be quite delicious. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd say that that, that was my, my major reason for, for going was one, because of that Masese lot that we had, but also that just... I, yeah, it's somewhere that I didn't know where it existed. Um, like 10 years ago, you said to me, where's Malawi? I wouldn't have a clue. And it's only because I've got involved in coffee. I actually know where Malawi is now. That, that probably makes me a bit thick. Um, but uh, it's such a small country that I didn't, it didn't really hit my radar. Um, and now I'm going to go and visit it. So that'd be good. A new stamp for the passport. That's the most important thing. That's what we're, we're all in it for. <laughs> Stamp on the passport. Indeed, indeed. So, anything else strange or wonderful happening in the world, especially coffee that you've seen pop up? <sighs> I, I don't know. Where, I, I don't think we should talk about it today uh, uh, because I, I'm still trying to get my head around it. But um, the, the solubility thing, I don't know if you've, you've kind of seen much about it kind of coming up, but there's been a whole uh, kind of um, heap of pocketbook scientists talking about solubility of coffee and and how uh, if your coffee isn't soluble enough you should send it back to your roaster and uh, that there's there's a problem with uh, lighter roasted coffees and solubility and, and how it just doesn't work and I really don't like um, I don't like the terminology of it I don't like the way that it kind of um, it sits but I think this is probably maybe even a podcast on its own and we can actually get some clever scientist person to come in and talk to us about solubility and, and what it actually really means because I'm fairly sure that a lot of the people who are talking about it don't actually understand what it is. Um, well, one of the dangerous things about using this is as um, it's definitely something you should look to. Like, So understanding solubility in coffee is, is an important factor of what you do. But to the, the implication that there's a linear relationship between solubility and quality is 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 not something that you should be preaching like just because a coffee is more soluble does not mean that it is better now if you have the same coffee from the same roaster roasted four times and one of them is less soluble than the other three then that's reason to cause concern uh, now but what you can't rule out is that maybe the one that is less soluble tastes better and that sometimes happens uh, and you can't lose sight of that because just because something is more soluble doesn't mean it's better. There are certain things in certain coffees that if you dissolve into your beverage won't taste nice uh, and that does happen. 
And the other thing to consider is that if you have four different copies and you grind them through an EK43, um, depending, like if you have three washed Keturas and then uh, a natural Pacamara, the natural Pacamara is like, is going to be, you can nearly dissolve that in your fingers just by crushing it. And that has a massive effect on the grind particle sizes that that's been um that's been produced. So you're gonna to need to go a lot finer on the Pacamara than you would on the um on the the Keturus. So if you grind them up like that, you won't be able to see it, but you're gonna you're gonna create uh, greater micron sizes with the Pacamaras, they'll extract less. And then because you've used the same grind setting, you're gonna look at the bowls and say, Oh, this one here is uh, not soluble enough so i'm going to send that back whereas actually you've just used the wrong grind setting for it um and this is also true of of roast settings so between different roasters different roasters like will every roaster has a has a grinder in their shop and different grinders are in their roastery and every different grinders have different burr sets and each one of them grind in different ways so just because you're not getting something that's soluble doesn't mean that like it's not a soluble coffee because it could be down to your grinder and not just because you have a different grinder to the roaster um yeah there's so many holes in that argument it's it's it really is hiding behind the numbers which is something I'm, I'm really afraid of you know it's it's we're becoming quite linear in how we do these things and it's it's a scary thing to see but definitely on the, on the other hand you should do it like it's it's something to that's important but not to be all and end all yeah, I think you know, the, the, my, my argument too is if I, if I roast it to third crack, then it's going to be much more soluble. Um, if that's what you're looking for me to do, I'll just roast it until it's oily and black and burnt, and then it will solu- you know, it dissolve really easy into the, you know, it, 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 into the substance, into the solution, if you like. But, um, you know, I'm also going to take away a whole heap of tasty when I do that. Um, it kind of goes back to the roasting for brew method argument that I've had for forever, it seems. Um about kind of you know yes you can i can make it easier for you to get this out but actually nothing good comes easy and sometimes as a barista you have to use the tools that are at your disposal to be able to get more out of it to be able to do more Um, and sometimes it's the responsibility of the barista to do that and it's the responsibility of the roaster to leave as much tasty in the coffee as they possibly can Um, and up to the barista to get as much tasty out of that coffee when it arrives to them and I, i hate that whole hiding behind the numbers thing it really does wind me up um uh something terrible you know and people are uh, fist pumping the air because they've you know they've hit a, a tds that the things right or the dissolvability is correct and not actually tasting the coffee it really just sucks uh, yeah. yeah i think it's something we can dig into in in greater depth in, in, in uh, the coming weeks because there's a few things knocking around that i want to read up on and have a look but um yeah it's um not the be all and end all, but definitely something to uh, to be conscious of. Um, I guess we should talk to people about uh, the things that we have coming up and the tickets that are going to be on sale or already on sale, actually. Um, yeah. So the tickets for Manchester are they go? They they are they are go go, uh, and they're early bird tickets as well. And you can see the whole of Cup North and Tampa Tantrum and potentially the uh, debut UK Coffee Throwing Championships. Um, for 10 great British pounds, which I know is a lot to you people in the Eurozone. I mean, that's like about a million that's euros, about, isn't it? It's about 174 euro at the current rate, <laughs> I believe. But for, 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 for people from this fine island of, uh, of 
the UK. 10, pounds, 10 great British pounds is an absolute bargain. Um, and that's for the, I think that's for the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, yep. So that's, that's pretty immense. Um, and it's going to be lots of fun. And we have speakers. We have speakers um, that are going to be uh, announced in the next week or so. Uh, you're going to see posts going up on Tampa Tantrum about who's going to be speaking at Manchester. But um, let's just say there could be uh, a previous WBC finalist speaking. There's, there's a lot of those, you know. Two of them, actually. Well, I don't know. Mm, yeah, there's one good one anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but also a, a, a second place Coffin Good Spirits champion. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, we, we've got... Um, some some real big names um, to go on there, and and some really exciting talks as well. When I see the names, I can't wait to see what they're going to talk about. Be really good, um, and also yeah, the Bristol Guild of Europe, uh, uh, the Euro Guild, as you like to call them, the Euro Guild. <laughs> they. Uh, I'm going to dress up as Pat Sharp and wear a Euro Guild T-shirt. <laughs> Normal weekend then, yeah. Yeah. Um, the tickets are now on sale for that in Paris. Uh, which is going to be on the November the eighteenth. Um, it's eighty pound for eighty euros, sorry, which is about eight hundred pounds. Um, no, it's about eight pounds, isn't it? Sorry, uh, 80, eighty euro for uh, BG members and ninety five euro for non BG members. So there's a very good reason to join the BG as well. Um, and we have some killer names lined up for for Paris as well, aren't we? I'm looking forward to Paris. Uh, the last time I was in Paris uh, I had a great time I was only there for like a day and a half I just felt that it clicked for me as a city I just suddenly had three or four places to go that I knew and a couple of friendly faces and that's, that's kind of always the easy thing to, to start you or kind of the important thing that you need to get you to start liking a city so I'm looking forward to getting back there yeah no, Paris is going to be Paris is going to be immense and, and if we said two WBC finalists speaking there as well and lots of other interesting folks it's uh, it, uh, do you know when we're announcing the names for Paris is that I'm guessing BGE are going to be kind of in charge of that but do you any do you any idea when they're going to start announcing those names absolutely none but uh, I can't imagine it's too far away because it'd be good to um to get those names out and start selling by the tickets, pair of so. the internet I'm told mid-September mid-September yes they're going to start announcing names yeah. that's good uh, and Paris is accessible from wherever you are in Europe or even further afield. So book a ticket. We're going to have um, yeah, a great few days there. Um, and yeah, Can you get there from be, Eastern uh, Europe? I'm pretty sure you can, Steve. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I'm, I have no proof of that in front of me right now, but I'm going to go out and uh, on a whim and say that, yeah, you can get there from Eastern Europe. So it, um, it promises to be um, yeah, uh, an exciting few days. An exciting like few weeks with Manchester and Paris and all of that stuff, and it's going to be yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Right, we should wrap up. We're rambling. Yes, we are. Okay, so that was episode uh, the thirty fifth of thirty five. Um, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll talk to you in about two weeks' time. Over and out. <laughs>